Hello and welcome to the Blue Oval Podcast. My name is Garrett Zatlin, and that's right, I'm doing the intro for the podcast this week, which means that Ben is not on the podcast for this week. He is taking some much-needed time off. Uh, he's been pretty busy on his own doing a bunch of different things. But don't worry, we'll, we'll get to our uh, featured guest for today in just a moment. First off, just want to say thank you to everyone that's been supporting the site and listening to the podcast. Always been uh, super encouraging. Uh, we did get one new review, which is awesome. Uh, it, we got up to 90 reviews now. So uh, if I just pull that up here, it's actually a really nice review. Oh gosh, here we go. And the review read, uh, clarity, nuance, and context is what these guys offer to the conversation about cross-country track and field. I just started listening to you two in the past couple of months. And even though I don't really follow XC, I find myself drawn into listening to the rankings predictions about teams I don't really know. Um, shout out to that review. That was awesome. A little bit more there. Uh, their daughter runs at Virginia. Um, I'll let the Virginia uh, thing go, even though I went to Virginia Tech. Um, but I'll, I'll take anyone who wants to listen to the podcast, uh, regardless if you go to UVA or not. So uh, thanks for listening in. Uh, hey, guys, we're at 10 reviews to go until we hit 100. Again, we don't know what we're going to do yet. Maybe do something fun. We'll figure it out. But 100 reviews. Uh, we'll see what happens. So, all right. So for today, we've got uh, a lot to talk about in terms of past results and future races coming up. And for that, we are bringing in Sam Ivanecki. He uh, co-authored our women's uh, team rankings with Mara Beatty. Uh, he has been a longtime TSR veteran. Sam, how are you doing today, man? Not too bad, Garrett. How are you doing? I am holding up, constantly working, but that's my favorite thing to do nowadays. Uh more because I don't have a choice, but um, Sam, we are going to hop into some conversation today, uh, some opening weekend info and some results that we had, um, a lot going on, a lot to digest, a lot to analyze. Um, you actually wrote the uh, opening weekend first thoughts article for the Stride Report over here. Um, tell us, what, what, do you, what meat do you want to start out first with? I think we start right off the bat with the LSU-SEC preview, saw some big names debut. Lots of good results down and definitely lots to talk about on that side of things. All right. So I'm just going to ask it. Is Taylor Ewart already one of the best runners in the nation? Because she just crushed a very competitive field in her first race as a collegiate. Um, and it was very convincing. I mean, it was we I think we knew she was going to be good, but just just something about it, just finally seeing the results on paper. I'm like, man, she's probably more than just a a all-American caliber runner. She's probably already at like an Erica Vanderlyn type kind of caliber runner. Yeah, I think you were, I mean, looking at a result definitely would put her somewhere near that top 20, top 25 at NCAAs, even if you were to put in every team in the nation, you know, barring COVID and everything, you were a top 25 talent. Once you get into that range, it's kind of hard to tell, you know, maybe she's a top 10 on one day, top 20 on a different day. But we knew she was going to be really good coming in. She ran away from the field, even winning by two seconds against names like Logan Morris and Lauren Gregory. It's definitely convincing when to start off her collegiate career. And not only that, but when you talk about convincing wins, you see Arkansas there sweeping one through five, doing it without um, Chrissy Gear, who due to SEC bylaw transfer rules, is not going to be able to compete this fall. And we suspect the same will be for Amon Kenboy on the men's side. 
Um, and then as well, Julia Patternane, the Penn State transfer, fell off a little bit, not her best race. Um, but overall, a very convincing win for an Arkansas team that had Abby Gray as their second runner and freshman Corey Smith as their fifth. I mean, this team just has so many pieces um, and they seem to be set for the future, which is really, really exciting. Yeah. And I mean, talking about Corey Smith as a freshman, they also didn't run London Culbreth, who is arguably a top five runner for their team. So when you add in that talent and you figure Julia Patternane's probably going to be a lot closer to that group when she gets kind of into her groove, that's a dangerous team and they've got a lot of potential. Yeah, that was... This is one team that I think you looked at what the roster was going to look like immediately after the national championships last year, and you thought, "Oh boy, that's going to be tough." And we questioned, "It's like, well, who, you know, how are they going to rebuild? How are they going to bring back? You know?" And then all of a sudden, piece by piece by piece, between the recruits and the transfers, and Lauren Gregory being healthy, and all of a sudden, it's like, "Wow, this this team is top notch." I don't know if they're a podium contender quite yet, but they are. They are. Uh, Pretty spectacular there. Um, any final notes, maybe on the Ole Miss woman? I know we didn't see Cleo and Jacques uh, run. She had redshirted 2019. We were hoping to see her uh, this year, or at least this fall. Um, still could be the case, but haven't seen her yet. Any final notes on Ole Miss or on the women's side before we move to the men? With Ole Miss, I think they're a lot better team than the results show. I mean, sure, they only put 46 points to Arkansas's 15, but it's practically a dual meet at that point. And so you look at the times, the runners really weren't that far back off of an Arkansas group that features a lot of potential All-Americans. You throw Ole Miss into a much bigger meet, they're going to look a lot better compared to a larger field. So I think looking at one result, you know, don't put them away. Don't forget about them come later meets in the year. They're going to be somebody to watch. Couldn't couldn't agree more. I think that's a, a very fair analysis. Still early on, you know, when we talk about a lot of these teams, a lot of rust just trying to shake off. It's important that it kind of has to know that as we kind of go through these, you know, teams and results that it's still pretty early on in the season. So um, but man, I'll I'll tell you, the the race of the week happened between the Arkansas men and the Ole Miss men. Just so many insights, so many takeaways from this. I mean, what was your biggest takeaway from these results? So when I pulled the results up, I'm not going to lie. My first thought was, who the heck is Mario Garcia Romo? (laughs) I'd written the preview for this, glanced at some of the Ole Miss names. Now I tend to focus on the women's content, so not as familiar with the men's teams. But I knew the big names coming to this, obviously, Waleed Suleiman. And then I see Mario Garcia Romo, and I'm like, who is this guy and how did he take down this field? Because this is a field that features plenty of potential All-Americans. And then this guy comes out of nowhere and takes the win anyways. Yeah, I mean, he was someone who I think we knew was going to be good, was going to be a nice middle lineup contributor for this team, or at least that was the expectation coming in for Ole Miss Coming into this uh, season, you know, had a 344-1500 meter PR, according to Tifers, 403 in the mile, 805-3K, 1428-5K. So he's very solid. He's a very refined talent. Um, but it is one of those instances where it's not so much as fast at the time that he ran 1723 for 6,000 meters, which is moving, by the way, but it's more so who he beat and route to that win and how he executed over those last final portions of the race. When you look at the splits, you look at where he was positioned throughout the race, and then he just dropped the hammer and he pulls away at the end there. Really impressive stuff um, from Mario Garcia Romo. And he could be that other pivotal front runner that this team needs 
to pair with Walid Suleiman after losing Farah Abdul Karim. Now, we should say this has only been 6,000 meters, and the men usually race at 8K. So something to keep in mind there as we move forward and talk about some of the, uh, these results. But um, despite that win from Mario Garcia-Romo, uh, Arkansas taking home the team win with 29 points to Ole Miss's 37, Texas A&M in third, LSU in fourth. The initial thoughts seeing the the results and the order from the Arkansas men. You know, I'm not terribly surprised. I think Chepison had a good debut. Same with Jacob McLeod. I was a little bit surprised to see Gilbert Boyd back in seventh, though. Obviously, it's not a terribly deep field, so seventh to third isn't a huge gap. But when you look that he's almost 20 seconds back out of his two teammates, I would have expected him to be with that group somewhere near Suleiman. And so first meet of the year, not too concerned, but it does leave me questioning a little bit. Is he going to be as good as we think he is, or is there kind of something left that we're looking for? Yeah, so so two things on that. Really, when I think I saw this, I, I'm with you. I think I would have liked to see him closer to Suleiman. I'm not necessarily shocked that he was down that early, especially because it's early season meets like that. But when I kind of take a look at his 2018 results from cross country, it's hard to really get excited, especially considering the competition that he was against. You know, he was like second at Chili Pepper Festival, uh, I think just to his teammate Cam Griffith. I'd have to take a look at that. And then he was fourth at Penn State. Um, he won the SEC title back in 2018, but then went on to finish 126th at the national championships. So he was good. He just wasn't anything great, uh, at least during cross country, although the SEC title was nice to have. And then just throws down monster times in the spring of 2019, 13.37 for 5K, 28.25 for 10,000 meters. I mean, he's truly a top talent. We have him ranked at 28th in our preseason rankings. And then to come out a little, I don't want to say flat, but just a little further back than expected was, I, I agree, a bit of a surprise. But for me, it wasn't as much of a surprise just based on previous cross-country results. Um, so do I think he's probably should be closer to Suleiman? Yes, absolutely. But um, I'm not terribly shocked, at least not at this moment in time. And what I think we should also point out is the fact that Kate Bethman did not run. I mean, Bethman was a really pivotal scorer for this team at the Joe Piani invite last year when he finished 22nd. And if you throw him into the mix here and where he finishes as like fifth, I mean, all of a sudden you start getting into a scenario of, wait, does Ole Miss take down Arkansas? And I'd have to run the numbers real quick, but I, I like to think that they do. Yeah, it would be a very close meet. I mean, Ole Miss was leading Arkansas through three runners, and it's really that four or five spot where they fell off a little bit. So you throw one more name in there, and it's a much closer race between those two. And it was only an eight-point race to begin with. Uh, yeah, absolutely. So I think that is kind of interesting to know. And I think it also kind of shows where we were a little bit concerned in terms of some of that inconsistency, or, or not inconsistency, but I should say more to some of that uncertainty that we initially had when ranking the Arkansas men. Some people were surprised we ranked them at six. Some people thought we were going to have them at three or four, but we just there's just so much uncertainty with this team. Chabosin's kind of another one of those names where he always comes out hot, but we really kind of have to see how he does later on in the season. Um, and no Kemboy. And it looks like we may not have a Kemboy uh, you know, due to SEC bylaw transfer rules. So that's a big hit. I mean, that is a massive, massive hit that will have to be taken into consideration uh, later in the uh, in the season. Again, we don't know for sure about Kemboy. We don't have confirmation on that, but based on Chrissy Gear's um, transfer situation, it looks like that's going to be the same case. So um, just something to keep in mind moving forward. But 
Uh, Sam, I think that kind of wraps up the LSU preview meet. Now, I, I have nothing more to kind of touch on there. Did you want to touch on anything else before we move on? No, I'm ready to jump into the next one with you. All right, cool. We'll do the Commodore Classic. Uh, initially, I uh, was supposed to be having Tennessee run. They ultimately pulled out in the final moments. Uh, and then Alabama men were also going to be running some of their top runners. Uh, I believe it was Ilya Kipsang and uh Kip Rotich? I, I gosh. Oh, Rotich. No, Noel Rotich. Excuse me. Um, they were going to be running, but they were ultimately pulled uh, as well. They also didn't run their two new uh, Kenyan editions uh, as well. Ultimately, uh, a meet that came down to just kind of Kentucky on the, both the men's and women's sides, taking home wins. Um, you got to give you know a lot of credit to Kentucky because they pulled away very comfortably with a 14-point win on the men's side. Um, on the women's side, they pulled away uh, more comfortably at the 21-point win. Um, quick thoughts, anything that you you kind of wanted to take away from the, the Kentucky wins? So I was impressed with Kentucky, especially when you consider that Alabama on the women's side was able to put three women in the top four. One name that really stood out to me on that side was Jamie Reed of Alabama taking the overall win there. We obviously knew that Mercy Chilengat and Esther Gatati were going to be two names to watch for them, but I think Reed kind of slipped under our radar, and that puts it on the question now, is she going to be that third runner up front that really gives them a 1-2-3 punch? And if that's the case, are they going to be able to find two women to kind of fill that 4-5 or five spot and put them in team contention? Because even with those three runners, we saw Kentucky easily take the win on the women's side there. And I think that Alabama, while they've got three strong runners, aren't going to be able to contend with a lot of teams if they can't find someone to backfill those two spots. Yeah, so I would agree there. I think Kentucky right now is a team that can, the Kentucky women at least, you look at their roster structure and makeup and lineup, and they have really good like overall pack depth and team running. They went in the team, they went 5, 6, 8, 9, 10, 12, 14, which is really impressive stuff. I mean, they had six runners in before uh, before Alabama's fourth runner, between uh, before Missouri's third runner, um, between Vanderbilt's second runner and the entire Auburn team. I mean, that is some really impressive stuff. Um, but I will say on the Alabama side, they didn't even field Allie Wilson, who was their third scorer from last year. I believe a, a fringe top 20 runner in the South region uh, last year. And then they also didn't run a handful of other women like Laura, uh, Lauren Bracken or Amaras Tanisima. And I'm sorry if I just butchered that name. But there was a few Alabama women that they didn't run where initially I thought that you know, you're going to have Wilson be that third or fourth runner. But now the emergence of Jamie Reed comes up there and all of a sudden Alabama, you've got a really scary looking group in terms of what they could do because really the depth was was going to be a major question mark for us. But I think now we can kind of visualize what that back end may look like. Do you think the Alabama women will be similar to that Alabama men's team we used to see where You've got three women who are arguably All-American candidates there, and they might still be good enough on an NCAA scene just because those front three are so strong where they can kind of backfill that four or five spot with decent runners, but they don't need to have that strength and talent that other teams do in that four or five spot, yet they'll still maybe be a top 20 team in NCAAs. Yeah, and I, I think it's tough. I mean, I actually think this Alabama team, I think their front-running scoring potency is less established than the men's side was when they had that 
you know, Keegan and Kiprop and Shalanga kind of trio there. I don't think they're quite as potent up top there, but I do think that they, I think that in my mind and based on who we know they have, I think they actually have a slightly better back end, um, better than we expect. And I think there's still some pieces that are in the works who could be better, who could be on the way. And I think that's something that's important to keep in mind. So, um, and that's, that's all I had there on that woman's side though. Just keep an eye out on Alabama, um, on the men's side. Not really a whole lot there, although I will say uh, freshman Matt Duvall ran very well, uh, taking home that win. And then uh, William Sinclair, the uh, I believe he was New Z- from New Zealand, or yeah, I think he's also from New Zealand, uh, from Missouri, placing third there. He was also a freshman young guy. Um, Kentucky, generally a really young team. They had four men inside the top 11 um, that were freshmen, and with the, you know their second-place finisher being uh, Dylan Allen, who's a junior. I mean, that's oh, and also Patrick Schaefer, who was a, a junior as well. I mean, they had four freshmen inside that top eleven. I get it's not like a super loaded field, but I, I, I do like what we saw to Kentucky. I think that they're young, and I think that they could be a team to watch down the line, at least in the future. I don't know about this season, but maybe once meets start opening back up again, it's just something to watch. Yeah, I like that with both Kentucky and the Missouri men. Obviously, Kieran Wood is a senior, but outside of that. Both of those teams are largely made up of freshmen, which puts a lot going into the future. I think, you know, with COVID and everything, it's going to be kind of hard to tell how good they are this year, but it's going to give them a really good chance to build some team dynamic, get better as a kind of young developing core. And then moving into the next couple of years, we might see these teams surprise a lot of people. Yeah. Missouri has a nice mix of, of veterans and then a few young guys, a a nice mix there, but uh, we'll, we'll see what happens there. Um, all right, let's move on. We're going to head over to Florida, the Mountain Dew Classic, um, Mountain Dew Cross Country Invitational, excuse me, hosted by Florida. Um, also, by the way, if Mountain Dew ever wants to sponsor the Blue Oval Podcast, you're more than welcome to. Just throwing it out there. Um, all right, so do you want to start on the men's or women's side for this? I'll take the women just because that's kind of my forte when it comes to <laughs> cross country. All right, well, give us your, your major takeaway from this race. All right, so Nicole Feagans is just as good as we thought she was going to be. She got the win comfortably, taking seven seconds. Not a whole lot going on there. She was easily running away at the meet. It would have been interesting to see Florida State run their full lineup. So Georgia Tech ended up beating Florida State on the women's side by five points. And that's because we largely didn't see Florida State run some of their bigger names like Maudie Skyring and Elizabeth Thunderberg. Both of those women we have ranked in the TSR top 50. And I think you put them into the lineup, Florida State's going to make up that gap pretty easily. It would have been interesting to see those two take on Feagans because those are all three of those women are ones we could see being all Americans. And without that, you know, Feagans runs away at the win. We know Georgia Tech's been a good team over the past couple of years, and so they're still going to be a good team. But I think Florida State holding out their top runners doesn't really give us an idea of what that team could look like when everybody comes together. Took the words right out of my mouth. I think Georgia Tech is a good team. I think a better team than maybe some people realize. Um, they've been a good team. Um, I like this team in terms of what they can do with Nicole Feagans and uh, you know uh, Mary Claire Solomon and uh, Mary Catherine Knotts and uh, Liz Galarza. Uh, gosh, I'm sorry, Liz. I know I just butchered that name. Uh, Galarza. There, I think I got it. Um, but yeah, I mean, Florida State really not running 
you know, I think five of their projected top seven. In, in the preview that we wrote for this, and by we, I mean me, I said that even if Florida State doesn't run, you know, their top lineup, um, they should still easily pull away with a win or something like that. But just for the record, I don't think we were expecting them to not run five of their top seven. So something to keep in mind. But I, I like the fact that uh, Clark and Coggins ran well. Um, they're just so consistent, nice pieces to have within that lineup. That entire Florida State team is is really just loaded with talent. And, you know, I think this is a good opportunity for a few other women to kind of put their name out there, see what they can do. Um, but overall, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's any too many major takeaways from this on the women's side, um, unless you have any, anything further. No, I mean, if anything, it just kind of keeps Georgia Tech on the radar. Back in 2018, we saw Georgia Tech, Florida State, Florida, and Georgia all battling in the, for those regional spots. So I think, if anything, it just reminds us that Georgia Tech isn't a team just to pass over, but Florida State, with their full lineup, should have easily won this meet. Agreed. Agreed there. Um, all right, moving to the men's side real quick, just a quick highlight. Florida State taking home the win, 19 points. Georgia Tech in second with 53 points. Florida in third with 68 in Miami, Florida um, with 110 points in fourth. Uh, Paul Stafford, I like him a lot. I, I like him more than I realized after seeing that he took home the win. Not a, not a super competitive field, nothing crazy. It wasn't a super loaded team, but I, I just like that he seems to be that next step up guy. They don't have Neville Bard anymore, but he had a few great races in the postseason last year. I, I just like what he brings to the table. Uh, Gabriel Curtis is the freshman finishing second. They overall Florida state put Foreman inside the top five. They didn't run Silas Griffith, which was interesting. Um, so yeah, I, I just, I like the win. Uh, I think it probably could have been closer if Georgia tech had, you know, Andrew Kent finish the race, you know, if they had, uh, one of their other guys who I can't think of off the top of my head. Oh, Braden Collins. Um, I think he probably could have had I think it was just kind of a, a an off day for him, maybe shaking off some rust. So I think they probably could have been a little closer. But when you put four minutes out of the top five, you got to be pretty convinced that Florida State's going to take that win. Yeah, Florida State pretty much ran away with this one. I do like that Ethan Geiger of Florida was up there in third. He's only 24 seconds back off of Paul Stafford. Now, again, small meet, so it's kind of hard to gauge what kind of performance that really means. But as a freshman finishing that close to somebody like Stafford, it does point towards a bright future and maybe somebody to keep an eye on as we move forward. Absolutely. All right. So last two quick meets, we just want to highlight the Irish classic, which was basically a Notre Dame versus Louisville dual meets. And then the Bob Timmons classic, which was hosted by Kansas. It was uh, against Iowa state, Kansas state and Kansas. Um, those two meets, anything that you really pulled out of either of those meets? I mean, both pretty small. Um, Notre Dame really was just, it was more just a, a time trial against themselves, given Louisville's, um, you know, a few of Louisville's runners. But uh, yeah, a- any kind of thoughts there? Anything on the women's side really would be Jessica Schneider, Notre Dame, taking the individual win there. Just a true freshman there for Notre Dame, and she did just edge out Katie Wasserman, who has been a strong runner transferring over to Notre Dame from Columbia. So if anything, I think Schneider's a name that we should keep an eye on with that younger developing group at Notre Dame. Yeah, I, I like Schneider. She they they kind of needed another piece, and I will uh, briefly correct you. She's actually a redshirt freshman, but yeah, I mean she's young, inexperienced on the cross country course. 
And, uh, you know, they kind of needed that extra name to kind of step up. They're losing, they lost Anna Rohr, and they don't really know who's going to be that second complimentary scorer behind Maddie Denner, who finished in fourth place overall. Um, you know, they don't really know who that's going to be per se. And, you know, maybe if everyone incrementally gets better and improves, they can make up some of that scoring gap. But that's a lot of scoring potency to lose. Um, but they do have now, you know, a lot of young talent, a lot of, you know, returners from last year. So I wouldn't really pull away anything from this, but I do like the fact that, you know, Schneider pulled away as just a redshirt freshman running 1659 on what is admittedly a fast course, but I, I like what she did there. I just think that she could be another key piece moving forward. Um, yeah, I thought it was a, I thought it was a nice win for her. Any thoughts on the Notre Dame men pretty much taking care of business there? Taking care of business. I mean, I love that Josh Methner is running. And for me, this is kind of an indication that Notre Dame is more or less all in. Uh, you know, when you kind of, I won't say all in, they don't really need to be this year because obviously, you know, they don't they don't need to be. There is no national championship. Um, but they have Josh Methner and it looks like, you know, they're, they're willing to run him because why not? It's not like they need to save eligibility. Uh, him finishing six overall in a really fast time of 24-12, um, which for five miles, and I, again, I get that this is a fast course, but for five miles as a true freshman, and I get that he's talented, but to come out on top of this team, you know, and kind of right in the mix with all these top talents, that's extremely encouraging. It is really, really encouraging. And you just have to be happy that he's kind of up there because on paper, before Methner, before all the other young guys get brought into the conversation, on paper, Nagus and Kilrea and Jacobs are all All-American caliber talents. I mean, Jacobs and Kilrea are already All-Americans. Nagus absolutely should have been a cross-country All-American. And now if you kind of throw like a fourth one in there, whoever that may be, maybe it's Methner, maybe it's somewhere else. I mean, you've got four, maybe potentially four All-Americans who if they all run well on the same day, I mean, at the national meet, that is that is pretty scary. And obviously we won't see that this fall, but whenever that does happen, uh, you know, you got to think about how crazy that would be. Yeah, Notre Dame's definitely going to be one of those teams that we need to watch on the men's side in the next couple of years because they've got a great young developing group. Yeah, absolutely. And yeah, just, and really they're expected to bring back everyone, you know, assuming that everyone gets that blanket waiver of eligibility after this fall, um, with the possible exception of Salvano, I believe. So uh, crazy stuff there, but yeah, uh, moving over to Kansas Bob Timmons Classic, not a whole lot there. Iowa State taking home the win, 20 points, going one, two, three, six, eight. Um, Fess Lagat running, which is nice. There's still some uncertainty as to whether or not he had that eligibility. He comes in, second place finish, nice uh, second place finish for him. Um, they held out a few guys. I think they were just try- trying to test the waters with a few people, but um, overall, nothing too crazy to pull out from here. Uh, any thoughts? Not a whole lot. Women's side was pretty similar. We saw Iowa State run away with the meet, scoring just 16 points with Kansas State in second, scoring 60, and then Kansas in third, scoring 62. Kelly Logue ran away with the meet, won by 42 seconds. Not a whole lot there to take away. It more or less became an Iowa State time trial. Yep, yep. And that's that's kind of as to be expected with a lot of these early season meets, some of these rust busters. It's expected to happen. Um but okay, so let's wrap that up. We've we've wrapped up a lot of our opening weekend races there. Um, but Sam, now we've got another weekend on tap. We know we've already got a few races, um, you know, that are 
you know, on tap for this weekend. It's going to be some pretty strong teams. And let's start with the meet happening in Blacksburg, Virginia, my alma mater, Virginia Tech. We have uh, the Hokies facing off against Duke and NC State. Those are the, uh, I think it's a tri-meet um, held, uh, held in Blacksburg. The NC State women, this could be where we see the debut of Caitlin Tui, Marley Stoliper, that entire stud freshman class. Maybe we see Hannah Steelman in there. Um, and, and who knows? I guess maybe if, if Ellie Hennis can run an attached, maybe she's she's there as well. But some interesting stuff specifically that we could see out of the NC State women. Uh, really excited to see. Just kind of, you know, just see them racing again, see what they may look like. Yeah, I got to think Hennis probably runs too after she just raced a 5K up in Boston. But talking about that freshman class at NC State, I mean, that's star-studded with Tui, Starlipper, Claire Walters. There's a ton of names that we're going to see hopefully debut. And likely this meet's going to go similar to how the SEC preview did with Arkansas, where NC State should sweep the race. It's a question of do they try to pack it up and just all finish together? Or are we going to see them truly race it where we might see a showdown between Tui, Starlip, or Steelman? My guess is they'll probably run it as a team. But even then, you got to imagine that the coach is looking to get some actual NCAA experience for some of those younger names with this blanket year. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really what this is all about. Just getting experience, trying to figure out kind of what does this team look like? How are they going to handle, you know, collegiate racing situations? It's a young group and that's really all they're trying to get that figured out. If this season, if if ACCs doesn't go, you know, according to plan, it's really not the end of the world. It's all about getting prepped for whenever the national meet comes back, whenever that may be. And I think that's kind of what all this this entire season is for, at least for the teams that are competing. Um, it'll be a huge luxury for the Wolfpack women to have some of those younger runners being able to compete. Um, I don't think we have many reason, much reason to believe that a lot of them won't compete. Um, but yeah, NC State, really excited to see uh, the team that could end up being the, the top-ranked program in the country in the eyes of many, but we had them at number two. Um, but yeah, really, really exciting stuff there. Um, Duke overall, interesting to see them. I think they're just like a quietly competitive team. I don't expect them to kind of you know show out in a big way, but um, I do think they're quietly competitive. I think Monica Reinhardt's an underrated name. Eager to see what she looks like, and then eager to see you know the the Hokies, the women's side lost a lot of veteran seniors from from last year's team. Interesting to see how they they potentially rebound, especially on their home course. So uh, that'll be something to watch. Yeah, I'm excited to see how it plays out. And I imagine that it's going to be an NC State victory close to a sweep. But you never know. With these early dual meets, you can pretty much see anything happen. And a lot of teams are willing to risk it more on the individual side when they know there's not quite as much at stake. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a good point, especially in this season, like we were mentioning. So, um, all right, that's all I've got on the women's side for the uh, VT uh, invite, I guess, or VT try meet, I suppose. Uh, the men's side, going to be kind of interesting. Duke has been a, a men's team that we've kind of quietly floated out there as maybe like a sleeper X-factor pick. Uh, we have the Virginia Tech men that were a top-ranked team in the nation but fell off a bit after losing, you know, Sufer and Zerats and you know, one of their back-end scorers, Jack Joyce, um, losing them all to eligibility. And then NC State, a top-ranked team in our mind, they're coming in with – 
you know, after a very weird 2019 season, we'll see what they can do, bringing in Shanklin, a bunch of returners, hopefully guys are healthy. Uh, just initial initial thoughts on the men's race of what, you know, what we can see there. I was actually going to spin this on you since you're the men's expert. What's the one thing people should be looking for out of this meet on the men's side? Uh, it's a it's a great question. I didn't want to answer it because I just I think there's so much that you can look for here. Um, I think it's just seeing. I think it has to be something with NC State, whether it's seeing you know their top guys out there or seeing you know certain freshmen. They had a great freshman class, um, you know, competing or you know at least running well and pulling away from. You know, in, in NC State or a Duke, or not uh, Virginia Tech in a, in a Duke program, um, just just some kind of progress, whether it be the back end runners from last year making improvements, you know, whoever it may be, just I, I need to see some positive takeaway from NC State. Not that it really matters again this season, you know, but if they want to win the ACC title, um, which isn't totally out of the question. Um, you know, I, I think they just need to show some kind of development, either from their freshmen, from their depth, show that they're healthy at the top, um, or just show that they can get everyone on the course at the same time. So that's ultimately what I'm trying to take away from this. We'll see what happens. But I think NC State, something I have to see from them has to be positive. Yeah, not to piggyback too much on you, but I really want to see how much can they close that gap between those front end guys and that back end. They have plenty of talent up front with guys like Ian Shanklin. But can they close that four or five gap down and really bring that pack together like we've seen at some of these meets? You know, we've seen like the Arkansas women pack run the race. Likely the NC State women are going to pack run. Can the NC State men do something similar where we see them try to go one through five or put five guys in the top seven? Because I think if they can do something like that, a smaller meet like this, it really solidifies their chance at an ACC title. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, they NC State, to me, in my eyes, they have so many options. You know, when everyone's healthy, they have so many options and they have so much depth. And I just, I really root for this team because I know what their potential is. But for now, two years in a row, they've been, you know, on one end of, end of a spectrum, awful. And then on the other end of a spectrum, really, really great. So I, I'm more just kind of looking for a bit more consistency and to kind of figure out what that entirety of that lineup is going to look like and, uh, you know, whether it be fill the, filling the gaps or just, you know, figuring out who's healthy. Um, yeah, it's going to, it's going to be interesting. So, um, all right. So I could talk about that race all day. I also have, you know, I, I like Virginia Tech. I, I like Duke, obviously. But um, let's move on from that. Let's actually talk about the other meet that's happening in Virginia, happening at UVA. Uh, Sam, you actually have a little bit more context than some of the entries on this meet. So what's going on there? Yeah, so looks like we're going to see Virginia, North Carolina, and Wake Forest line up on both the men's and women's side there. Obviously, there's a few storylines, but really with North Carolina, are we going to see guys like Thomas Ratcliffe make his debut? Or on the women's side, we've got freshman Taryn Parks, who is the New Balance Indoor Mile champion. How is she going to show up as we're seeing some of these freshmen kind of make their debuts in the NCAA? Is she going to be a big factor in the women's race or might not debut at all? Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, UVA, especially on the you know, another storyline I would add to that on the men's side now in year two with uh, Vin Lanata, trying to figure out what this roster is going to look like, especially after such heavy roster turnover. We had the team ranked at number twenty four in the country, but I think that was a team where you know 
on the men's side as we were crafting those rankings, kind of unsure. I mean, I think there's an argument where they couldn't have been ranked at all. Um, they just lost so much, and they really need to figure out what the rest of that team is going to look like. I think if this becomes competitive, they could certainly try to figure that out this weekend. Um, but you know, Thomas Ratcliffe, really for me, that's going to be exciting. That's going to be huge. Um, really eager to see what happens there. Um, and then, you know, really when you think about Ratcliffe uh, of UNC facing off against Zach Vaccioni of Wake Forest, facing off against a, a Virginia team that's trying to find their, you know, their foothold in the ACC, it's going to be really, really interesting. I mean, I think this could be really competitive. Um, and I think there's, there's a lot to like uh, about what we could potentially see uh, this weekend. Ratcliffe will, will really be the big name that we're watching. Could be super, super exciting. Yeah, I think the men's race is definitely going to be a tight battle. And speaking of finding your identity, obviously that's kind of the theme this year with that blanket COVID year. But what interests me with the UNC women is you've got young names like Taryn Parks learning from older veterans like Paige Hofstad. And then you've got to keep in mind that a team like North Carolina is also bringing in Michaela Page, Bryn Brown, and Sydney Massarelli next year. So how are they going to kind of look to shape that younger core knowing they've got a ton of talent coming in and they're also going to be facing that in-state rivalry with NC State. So it's going to be very interesting from my perspective to see how North Carolina tries to develop some of their younger runners knowing the group that they've got coming in and how they can use this year to shape the future. Absolutely. And really that same narrative is pretty much applies to what we could see next year uh, with the UNC men, because they're bringing in a, a really strong recruiting class of their own so far this year. They're bringing in Colton Sands, like an 831 3K runner. He was the PIAA state champion. He was 10th at Foot Locker. And then Judson Greer, just an absolute stud, one of the best distance runners in the country. I think he's run like 855 for 3,200 meters, probably faster, maybe even faster. I'm not not sure. I don't have his times off the top of my head, but I mean, you're, you're talking about bringing those guys in along with a really solid recruiting class that they already brought in, which includes Patrick Anderson, who was the third place finisher from Foot Locker. And then Ratcliffe, if he wants it, he'll have that extra season of cross-country eligibility for next fall. All of a sudden, UNC, despite being very young, looks very competitive next year. going to be really exciting to, uh, to see what happens there. Um, but yeah, just, just a whole lot to watch there and uh, see what happens. Yeah, and especially with Miltonberg being in his first year there, more than a lot of schools, UNC is really going to be looking at this year as how do we develop that culture? How do we develop that program now that it's transforming to new leadership? And so we see all these young talents coming in. This year might not look as great on paper because they don't have those names yet, but I think it's going to be very telling as to how they try to build those programs out. Couldn't agree more. I think this is a, a pivotal year in terms of the development and the future of the UNC men and women. All right, last race that we want to touch on before we get out of here, we've got a tri-meet. Technically, the battle in Beantown happening in Boston this weekend, September 25th, technically on a Friday. We've got Army with a rematch against Syracuse, and they will add in Boston College uh, this weekend. Uh, just a ton of different storylines. First off, Army women beat the Syracuse women the last time they faced off in a dual meet, but really important to note that the Syracuse women didn't run four of their projected top seven. So something to keep in mind, maybe do we see some of those women run this weekend? Who knows? Kind of kind of interesting to see there. Um, I think this will be a big weekend for the Army women to kind of validate what they're doing. Um, Syracuse men, where what will happen with Aiden Tooker? 
Uh, is he going to be running? We, he didn't run in their opener uh, a few weeks ago. And then not only that, Boston College women, uh, a national qualifying team last year. What do they look like this year? They were just on the cusp of potentially getting ranked um, in our XE preseason top 25. What are they going to look like? So, so much to pull out from this race, even if it's just three teams. Yeah, I think on the women's side, we're likely going to see more of a team battle between Syracuse and Boston College. Army did beat Syracuse, but that's also because they put a group of seven women ahead of Syracuse's four or five runners, and that kind of group isn't going to be able to happen when you throw in a third team like Boston College. So I think once you kind of have that mix of three teams battling out rather than just a head-to-head meet, it becomes a lot different dynamic. I'm interested to see, does Syracuse bring in some of those names, or are we going to see them continue to sit out and maybe just sit out this whole year with kind of how things are going? On the men's side, what do you think the big storyline here is to watch? Yeah, I think it's got to be the uh, the the Aiden Tucker part. I mean, like for for me and Ben, and we kind of been talking this uh, about this last week. It's more that he didn't run. I think during the spring of 2019, he was injured. Um, the fall and cross country season ran once. And then he was sidelined for the rest of the year. We didn't get to see him during the indoor track season. And to continue to see that absence, of course, you know, COVID canceled everything during the spring. And then to continue to see that absence now in that first race, really for most people wouldn't be a big deal. But for a guy who hasn't been racing, or at least not often, for so long, you just... You just really hope that he's healthy. You really hope that everything's okay. Um, you really just root for a guy like that, considering how talented he is and considering the scoring potency and what he can offer to this team, especially because this is a quietly great team this year. The potential return, just seeing him, he could finish six for all I care. you know. But regardless of what happens, just seeing him back out on the course will be huge. Yeah, I think with a guy like Tucker too in that kind of situation, it'll be interesting to see do they bring him back even now early on or do they kind of wait until later meets in the year? You know, maybe he's just trying to consistently build a base, make sure he's not injured of any sorts, get all of that out of the way before even risking anything, knowing that there's no pressure to compete right now. So on one side, yeah, I would love to see Tucker debut this weekend, but at the same time, you know, maybe he's just trying to get a little healthier, build that foundation, build that base, make sure everything is good to go before he really jumps in and wants to take a swing at things. Yeah. Yeah. Very true. So um, we'll see what happens Uh, again, still super early on. We're not even in October yet. October is full of a lot of great races, but for now we'll stick with the, uh, the races that we have this weekend. Uh, Sam, thanks for coming on, man. This was, this was a ton of fun. I, I think you killed it. And uh, who knows, if Ben's not careful, maybe he's going to get replaced. You know, one day John and I will bring back our podcast, but it's always good to <laughs> make a resurgence, have some fun talking cross country. So yeah, man. happy to be back. Well, you, you, you did a great job. We were happy to have you. Thanks for hopping on. And to everyone who's listening, thanks for uh, hopping on and listening to us as well. Uh, don't forget, we've got the stridereport.com. Go ahead, read that. I've got a ton of articles coming out. D2 and D3 rankings are on the way this week. D2 has already been published uh, as we're recording this on a Monday night. Uh, We've got a a few, you know, some race analysis coming up, maybe a few other things that are currently in the works, but a whole lot going on, even in a year where a lot of uh, people aren't racing. Uh, Do us a favor, go drop a five-star rating and review on the Apple Podcast app. And that's all I got. Sam, any final words? Look forward to watching some more cross country and plenty of races on tap coming up in October. All right. 
That's all we got. Well, Sam, thanks for joining me, buddy. Have a good one. You too, Garrett.